0: Welcome to the Faith Bridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org postscript.
1: Today we are in the second part of a three-part sermon series that we are calling From Here to Eternity. And I'm particularly excited about this sermon series because it addresses a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and that is mission. Mission. The privilege and the responsibility that each disciple of Jesus has to go into the world and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Last week, our good friend Peter Pereira got us off to just a terrific start. If you haven't Seen that message, I encourage you to go back. Peter reminded us that mission, first and foremost, is a response. When our lives have been touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, when our lives have been changed by the love of Jesus Christ, the natural and normal response is to want to share that with someone else we are going to be talking about another aspect of mission today, frankly, one that doesn't get discussed very much, and so I'm happy for the opportunity to talk about it today. We're going to be talking about the urgency of mission, the fact that uh, God uh, does not give us a mission so that we can outsource it to somebody else. He doesn't give us a mission that we can put off until a more convenient time. No, God has every expectation that we are going to own the mission and that we are going to be about it. We're going to be about it today and every day of our lives. To guide our thinking, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, to be specific. If you want to, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. If you need a Bible, just raise your hands. The ushers are coming down the aisle. They'll be glad to give you one. And that can be yours to keep if you have that need. John chapter 4. Before we jump into the message, though, let's, uh, let's take a moment and pray together. Father, thank you for this new day. We receive it as a gift from your hand. And we're grateful, Lord, to spend this day in your house, worshiping your son Jesus, lifting up his name in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we turn our attention now to the written word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come just as he promised to be our teacher and to guide us into all truth. We offer our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So John chapter 4 tells a fascinating story about the desire and the power of Jesus to change lives. To take that which is broken and make it whole again, to take that which is dead and raise it to new life. And it also tells about the call of Jesus to each one of us, those of us who identify as his followers, the call of Jesus to join him in this life changing work, to join him in the mission of bringing the gospel to lives that are broken and dead and desperately in need of life, desperately in need of change. Now, we don't have time to to read the entire story, so I'm going to uh, paraphrase the first part of the story, and then we'll pick up and read at verse 27, the second part of the story. One day, Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem, headed north. They were on their way to Galilee. And in order to get there, they had to pass through the land of Samaria, where the Samaritans lived. You may be aware that back in the day, the Jews and the Samaritans despised one another. There was no love lost at all between these two people groups. Long history of enmity between them didn't care for each other one little bit. It adds a little tension to the story to know that this is where these guys are going, this group of Jewish men, Jesus and his disciples. Well, along about the noon hour, they came to the village of Sychar. Now, Sychar would be unremarkable other than the fact that just outside of the village, was a very important landmark known as the Well of Jacob. Tradition had it that centuries before, one of the Jewish patriarchs, Jacob, had dug that well. You actually can still go there to this very day and find water. But about about noon, they came to this well. And because it was noon, the disciples decided they would go into town and see if they could scrounge up something for them to eat. Jesus, though, was uh, hot, and he was tired, and he was thirsty, so he decided that he would just wait there by the well. Shortly after the disciples had gone, a woman came to the well. And more than likely, this woman was an outcast, someone who had been ostracized by her fellow villagers in Sychar, and the reason we know that is because she was coming to the well at noon. All of the other women of the village would come to the well first thing in the morning while it was still cool and comfortable. They would fill their water jars, have a little social time, a time of fellowship, and then make their way back into town, but this woman was not welcome in the morning hours. The shame and guilt associated with her ostracism forced her to go out to the well when no one else was there. She wanted to make sure that she avoided people at all costs. So you can imagine her surprise when she gets to the well to find a man there. And not just a man, but a Jewish man. I would imagine on top of whatever shame and guilt she carried with her all the time, now there was probably an element of fear. What does this man want with me? What does this mean? The man, of course, was Jesus. And they begin to engage in a conversation. And before long, she realizes that she has nothing to fear. And so the conversation moves in lots of different directions. It becomes clear why she is an outcast. She's been married five times, and the man that she's living with now is not her husband. The women in that village perceived her to be a threat. They wanted nothing to do with her. But Jesus does not condemn her. Jesus does not judge her. Jesus speaks words of truth into her life, words that are so powerful By the time their conversation is coming to a close, she is persuaded that he is the Messiah. He is, in fact, the Christ, the long-awaited one who would bring hope and healing to their land. As a matter of fact, she is so persuaded that she makes up her mind she's going to go back into Sychar, back into that place where she is not loved, and she's going to tell everyone that she has found the Messiah. And that's where we pick up with the second part of the story, beginning in verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ They went out of the town and came to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. So here's the scene. The disciples come back from their shopping trip and they are shocked. They are actually somewhat dismayed to find Jesus at the well alone with a woman. Breach of protocol number one. That just was not done. Men and women were not alone together if they were not married to one another. And so right away, they're taken aback at what's going on here. But to make matters even worse, he's not just with a woman, he is with a Samaritan woman. You don't get much worse than that. And they probably were tuned in enough to know that if she were coming out to the well at noon, there's probably a story behind that that's not too savory, doesn't say too much for her character. Of course, none of them have the nerve to say anything out loud. Instead, they're probably just digging around in the sand, looking at one another sideways, thinking to themselves, what on earth is she doing here? Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? Don't you understand? That's... We just don't do that kind of thing. Probably giving her some nasty stares as if to say, hey, beat it. But I imagine by this time in her life, this woman was quite used to nasty stares. And she doesn't pay them any mind. No. She turns and forgetting her water jar, she's so enthused. She goes back to town. She is on a mission. Well, after she leaves, you can practically hear the sigh of relief on the part of the disciples. Whew. Boy, glad that's over with. Now, Jesus, let's get down to business. Lunch. And Jesus throws them a curveball, says something that uh, they definitely were not expecting. He says, I don't want food. I've already eaten. I I have a food that you know nothing about. You see, guys, like I've been telling you, I'm here on a mission. I've been sent to accomplish my Father's will, to finish it. There's a sense of urgency to His tone. Jesus is getting excited here. He's letting them know look, I've got a job to do, and I'm gonna do it, and that's what gives me nourishment. I don't want your food. And I imagine they're standing there thinking, uh, okay, just offering you a sandwich, Lord. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He's just getting warmed up. He begins to talk to them using uh, a metaphor from agriculture. You know, back in that day, a farmer would plant his seed, and then if all went well, four months later, he would reap a harvest. They had a proverb that essentially said, Four months and then the harvest. Jesus repeats this proverb back to them. He says, guys, you have this saying, four months and then the harvest. Let me tell you, forget four months. The harvest is here right now. You don't have to wait four months. Just lift up your heads. Look up. The fields are white unto harvest now. I imagine that they were so completely confused by what Jesus was talking about then. For no other reason than just to humor him, they look up. And what do they see? They see wheat, barley, oats. No, no. What do they see? They see the woman coming back to the well. Only this time, she's not alone. This time, the entire village of Sychar is right behind her. That is the harvest that Jesus wanted them to see. That's the mission that Jesus was all about, to go after that particular harvest. I'll be honest with you. The more I studied this passage, the more uncomfortable I became. Because I see far too much of the disciples in me. And I see far too much of the disciples in you. Let me explain. You see, the disciples were concerned about everything except the most important thing. Specifically, they they were concerned with two matters number one, social respectability. You gotta hang out with the right people. You gotta look good. You don't wanna be seen hanging out with a woman, hanging out with a Samaritan woman, one that probably has a shady character. Lord, let's get that straight first. And their second concern was creature comfort, food. It was lunchtime. They're ready to eat. But Jesus is not concerned with either one of those things. Jesus is concerned with the most important thing his mission. The thing that takes priority over respectability, priority over creature comforts and food are the lost souls of men and women. That's why Jesus came. And he's drawing the disciples' attention back to what really matters. I don't think it was any mistake that Jesus took them through Samaria. I think he knew there was a divine appointment waiting for them there. I think Jesus knew there was a a lost soul, one that had sinned horribly, one that was living with the consequences of her sin, one that knew pain of rejection, one that knew the pain of being used. And that's what Jesus was worried about. And I think Jesus knew too that if he could reach this one soul He's got a shot at reaching everybody in the village. But the disciples could not see that. They were so focused on their agenda, their concern, their needs, that they were missing what they were to be about. And I think if Jesus were here today, he would level the same accusation at us. I think he would say to me and to you, Faith Bridge, Faith Bridgers, what are you looking at? What are you so consumed with? What are the things that you have decided are so very, very important, important to the degree that you haven't yet looked up and noticed there's a world out there that's dying and going to hell. There's a world out there that is living in hell. You know, hell doesn't just wait for people to die. Hell creeps into people's lives as soon as it can to wreak all kinds of havoc. And I think Jesus stands before us today and asks the question, have you looked up? Have you noticed what really matters? Do you see that the fields are white unto harvest? Forget four months, forget waiting. There are opportunities all around you to reap a harvest. I think Jesus calls us to look up So that he can remind us of two very important truths. Two truths that we forget all too easily. And the first of those is that lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to God. And if they matter to God, they should matter to us too. God's heart breaks for the lost. God cares about the people who don't know him. The reason he sent his son in the flesh to come and die a horrible death and pay a price for our sin was so that we could be rescued. He does not rescue us so that now we can gather in safe and sound. He rescues us so that we might join him in the mission. There is an urgency to Jesus' tone We don't outsource mission to the pastors. We don't outsource mission to the spiritual people. No, if you name the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a missionary. And there's a mission that God is calling upon you to accomplish. But my goodness, how occupied we get with the things of this world. How occupied we get with what's going on with our family and with our job and with our activities and with our budget and our this and our that and all around us. People are broken and people are hurting. People are living in hell. Do we know to look up? Do we ever stop to look up? And remember, these people matter to God. I'm a bit of a, a news junkie. I, I, I appreciate the, the ready access that we have to news now, 24-7. Uh, you know, the news has kept me company on more than one night that I couldn't go to sleep. Just the other day, I was uh, talking to my daughter, Vivian. Vivian. She was asking me uh, what TV was like when I was a kid. And I said, well, we had three channels, black and white TV about this big, (laughs) Neanderthals. Man, what kind of life is that? So, hey, I'm glad that we live in a time now where we've got ready access to the news. But I've, I've noticed something about the news. I've noticed a hazard associated with watching the news. You know, there is such a barrage of stuff, of horrific stuff coming at us on such a regular basis that it has a numbing effect on our hearts. It it, it, is though it renders our souls immune to the pain and suffering of others. It's almost as if it's not even real, it's just there on TV. And we can walk away from it with no more than the shrug of his shoulders or maybe if it does cause us discomfort, we just hit that clicker and move on to something a little more pleasant. Once in a while though, uh, an image passes across that screen that shakes me out of my numbness. I think as long as I live, I will never forget the face of this little boy. His name is Omran Dagnish. Omran and his family live in Aleppo, Syria. And when that picture was taken, his home had just been bombed by the Syrian government. His family had been dragged out. A sibling of his would later pass away. And as I looked at that little face there, and saw the shock and the bewilderment, the utter confusion, the pain, the uncertainty, I sensed the Lord saying to me, Dan, don't turn away from this face. Look at this face long and hard because I want you to know this is what I see in the face of every single person who doesn't know me. It doesn't matter if they live in Syria or not. If they're lost, this is what I see in their face. Do you see that, Dan? Do you look up and even notice that all around you, even right here in Spring, Texas, there are people whose lives are falling apart? How sad that it would take such incredible pain in the life of a little boy to awaken me to realities I should have been tuned into all along. No, we don't have to go to Syria to find broken people. You know, not 10 miles from here, there are people who don't have enough to eat, people living in dire poverty. That's one of the reasons we started Bridging for Tomorrow, was to make a difference down there, to introduce Jesus down there. Five miles away on 1960, up and down the road, there are girls' slaves being forced to do unspeakable things, horrible things. Their lives are as broken as broken can be. I dare say right in our neighborhoods, there are plenty of broken people. A while back, I got a phone call from... Uh, a man who lives here in our community. He's actually a, a, a member of another church. But he wasn't comfortable going to talk to someone there. He heard about me at Faith Bridge, called and said, can I come talk to you? Sure. Which I, I think is a terribly sad commentary on the body of Christ but he came, and uh, I noticed immediately, of course, that he was uh, impeccably groomed and dressed. We sat down in my office, and for the first 10 minutes, he regaled me with all of his accomplishments, uh, that told me about the neighborhood that they lived in, which is a nice neighborhood, and the fact that they had a place up on the lake, and the boats, and the cars, and the toys, and He told me about, uh, you know, what they did in their church. And he told me about their kids, how athletic they were, and the different sports they were in. And, you know, after about 10 minutes or so, I kind of leaned in and I said, So, what, what can I do to help you? And that one question broke the facade. And he said, Dan... my wife and I are known here in this community. We haven't slept in the same bed in two years. We go to the neighborhood dinner parties and we go to the sporting events and we go to church and then we drive home in stony silence. He's in oil and gas. He's hanging on to his job by his fingernails Scared to death that it's all going to come crumbling down. No, we don't have to go to Syria to find broken people. They are all around us. And Jesus says, look up. They're here now. Look up. Today is the day. You are the one. And not only does Jesus want us to, to look up, so that we can be reminded that lost people matter to God, he also wants us to look up so that we will be reminded that we carry with us the answer. We have within us the treasure that the world needs. You know, the disciples had been journeying with Jesus for over a year at this point, and yet they did not give a whit about the Samaritan woman or the villagers Nasty Samaritans that they were, they were so apathetic and so uncaring that they completely forgot. Oh my goodness, not only are you broken, but right here in our midst, the man that we've been following for a year, he's the answer. And we forget it too. How many times, I shudder to think, how many times have I left here on a Sunday, driven out of the parking lot, and left Jesus right here. I don't know, maybe maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that. Maybe you take him with you everywhere you go. I hope you do, because that is what the world needs. Too many times we get so enamored with the treasures of the world that we forget we have with us the greatest treasure of all. The treasure that humanity desperately needs. The treasure that will bring lasting, beautiful, hopeful, meaningful change into people's lives. A year ago, October of of 15, I, I had the great, unforgettable privilege of traveling to the town of Shimla. Shimla is located in the far north of India, right at the foothills of the Himalayas. You you can see the snow-capped mountains from town. Shimla sits on a a steep ridge, about like that. And while I was there, uh, I met a fellow by the name of Amar. And one day Amar said, Pastor Dan, I want you to come with me. I want to show you something. So we went for a walk. We wound our way down the steep mountainside. And after a few minutes, we came to a little shack, about a a 10 by 15 shack, just clinging tenaciously to the side of the mountain. Namar pulled out a set of keys and opened a, a padlock, and we went inside. Little bitty room with a bed, a kitchen area. He turned and he said, Pastor, this is the home that I grew up in. And if you'll give me the time, I'd like to tell you my story. I said, I'd like to hear it. So in typical Indian hospitality, he fixed us a cup of tea. And then he began to tell me. When I was a boy, my father was a raging, abusive alcoholic. My mom, my sisters and I, we lived in absolute terror of this man. When I was 13, my mother was diagnosed with advanced heart disease. And so my father decided that that was an opportune moment to leave, and we've never seen him again. And I realized at 13, being the oldest, that if we were going to eat, I had to do something. And so every single day of his young life, Amar would go out into the streets looking for bottles that he could exchange for a few rupees, begging, looking for odd jobs, anything to get just a little money so they could have something to eat. He said, Pastor, it did not matter what the weather was, rain or shine, even in the snow, and it snows a lot up there in the north. He said, there would be times that I would have outgrown my shoes. We couldn't afford a new pair, so I would walk in the snow because I figured it was better to be cold than to be hungry. He said, I I used to go to the temple of my family's gods, the Hindu gods, and cry out to them for mercy, for deliverance. I would leave little fruit offerings, but nothing ever happened. And then one day when I was 18, I met a man who told me about Jesus. I'd never heard of this Jesus. But he told me about how Jesus loved me and he loved my family and that he had even died for us. And he wanted to be our Savior. And he said, I'll be honest with you, Pastor Dan, I was so desperate. What could it hurt? So I threw in my lot. Jesus, I asked him into my heart as the man had taught me. And while nothing changed right away, I could not deny there was something stirring in my heart. There was a joy that I couldn't explain. The man gave me a Bible and he said, Pastor Dan, I devoured that thing. I read it and read it and read it. And one day I discovered Jesus heals people. Maybe he'll heal my mom. I went home and with just simple childlike faith. Went home. He laid his hands on his mom and he prayed. And Jesus healed his mom. I got to meet her while I was there. And from that moment forward, Amar was a man on fire. He was determined that he was going to tell everyone in Shimla about Jesus. That sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Jesus touches a single life and that single life takes it to a town. Sounds like the woman by the well. That's what Jesus does. Jesus touches our hearts. And if we're obedient, if we're looking up, if we're paying attention, he will give us untold opportunities to take the good news to other people, to bring change to their lives. It all may look so shiny and so good from the outside, but you never know. Not everyone's pain is as evident as Amar's. Today, he's Pastor Amar. Today, he and his wife and their two lovely kids pastor a church there. And he's led hundreds of people in that town to know Jesus. I count it as one of the high points of my life to have made his friendship. Jesus is asking Faith Bridge to look up. Look up and see. The fields are white. The fields are ready right now. Perhaps you say, well, you know, Pastor Dan, that's great. And, you know you do the mission trip thing and I know people can go, but that's not my situation. I I can't do that. I've got things that require me to stay right here. I say, good. I think we've made the case that there are plenty of broken people right here. And if this is the place, if this is the field that God would have you harvest, then I have an action step for you. In the atrium, the east atrium, We've got every single local ministry that we partner with out there. We're having our local ministry fair. And if you're not currently involved in the harvest right here, don't just leave here today. Make it a point to go to the East Atrium. There are 20 different opportunities. Pray and ask God, Lord, is there one of these that you want me to be involved in? Is there one of these where you can use me to make a difference? Some of you, though, are feeling the nudge for a mission trip. Some of you are opening up to the possibility, maybe for the first time, yeah, I think I'd like to go. I think there's something God wants me to do. I have an action step for you, too. You know, next year, we're going to send out over 50 teams from Faith Bridge all over the world. Student teams, family teams, adult teams, they're all going to need adults Adult leaders, adult chaperones. Today at 4 o'clock right here at the church, we're going to have an informational meeting for adults. Outlining our trips, outlining the opportunities, not asking for commitments, just sharing information. If you're feeling the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go, don't go home and take a nap and forget about it. No, let's fan that flame. Come on back today at 4 o'clock. We're going to close our service praying together. Only we're going to do it a, a little differently. You know, usually when a pastor calls everyone to pray, we bow our heads, we close our eyes. Uh, I'm going to ask you today to look up. To look up. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. To look up and see. The fields are Ready? And we're going to call out to God in this prayer, trusting that He's going to show us that lost people matter to Him and that we've got a treasure to share. Pray with me. Father, we look up to You this morning and we confess to You how apathetic we can be. All around us, the world literally is on its way to hell. All around us, people are living in hell, and yet we are so consumed with the most insignificant things. Break our hearts, oh God. Help us look at people the way you look at people. Help us never to forget that we've got something they need, and it's an amazing privilege to share it with them. Lord, we're so weak and we're so prone to wander. We need you to do this for us. So please be merciful and raise our heads and raise our eyes that we might reap your harvest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Welcome to Postscript. Postscript.
0: Welcome to Postscript. I'm Ann Riley, Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Pastor Dan, who just brought a message from our Here to Eternity series called Urgency of Mission. And I loved how you laid out for us um, the example of evangelism that mm-hmm. we find at the well and also drawing us to where Jesus is showing that the mission is urgent, mm-hmm. There's no need to wait. Right. We're being called now. And we, we have a question that came in around evangelizing. Okay. Um, the question was: Was evangelizing and mission work for salvation a new concept to the Jews that Jesus was introducing?
1: Well, in that terminology, yes, it was. Uh, you know, Jesus had not yet died on the cross and been resurrected, Paul had certainly not developed his theology, which is a centerpiece of that perspective. But God's uh, concern for humanity by no means was a new concept. I I think about Jonah being Mm -hmm. sent to Nineveh, rescue. Mm -hmm. The the reason uh, the children of Israel were brought about in the first place was to be a light to the Gentiles, you know. So you're talking about modern day evangelism and missions. Yeah, that that was brand new, probably never even heard of. But the heart of God for lost people was not. Okay.
0: And we see that really clearly, the way Jesus looks at compassion with yeah. people. And so when you think about mission and how that plays out, church planting, mm-hmm. being sent, um, being here locally, um for FaithBridge, that's our church in the Woodlands, sure. um, is missional for us. And we had a question that came in around the Woodlands church. Um, it says, now that the church is expanding into the Woodlands area, so FaithBridge expanding into the Woodlands area, what, what are we doing there to expand our mission field?
1: Okay, well, I have uh, several answers to that question. Uh, first, I would say to get specific uh, instances where you can be involved, go to the Facebook page of our Woodlands campus Mm -hmm. and uh, Pastor Wayne, the campus pastor up there has outlined all the things that the Woodlands church is doing. So you can find answers there. Secondly, I would say uh, fall fest, what was highlighted uh, in the, the video before I preached perfect way to make ourselves known to reach out to that community I think the primary way, though, is the same way we've done here for years, real people, real life. It's one individual sharing with another, we've got a good thing going on, you know. Jesus is there, and I think this could benefit you and your family. Um, I'm sure Wayne could probably add many others, but those are the ones that come to mind. Right off the bat, yeah.
0: Good. Okay, and so another way we see um, evangelism and mission play out um, is in our schools mm-hmm. with our students. And so the question was are we teaching our children that schools are mission fields here at FaithBridge?
1: Well, uh, I can say that the student ministry here certainly is. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that the kids' ministry is as well. They, they are a very missions minded
0: Well, bunch having of people. a kid in the uh, kids' ministry, okay. I do know that they talk okay. about inviting friends to church and Great. how you talk to your kids, yeah. talk to your friends.
1: So I would say the first answer is yes, we as a church are. I think the more important question though is are you as a parent? Um, my philosophy has always been that church is supplemental to the discipleship that happens at home. And if mom and dad are teaching that and practicing that, more than likely the child will too. If on the other hand, they're looking to the church to provide whatever the kid is going to get, I don't think it's going to have much sticking power. So I, both and. Okay. Not either or. All right.
0: Well, I thank you for the message today. Yeah. It was challenging, and but also had a lot of practical steps. Good. If you are being called, there's plenty of places there sure for are. you to serve. So thank yeah. you for that. And thank you for joining us here for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org postscript.